This is Scanner School session number 70. Now, again, this podcast is always here to help you learn more about the scanner radio hobby, and that is exactly what we're going to do today. We have an interview on here with somebody who I absolutely love their uh, their YouTube channel, and I think that it's pretty obvious when I interview this person uh, just how much I enjoy what it is that they do. Before we get into the podcast, before we get into the interview, I want to remind you that Everything we've talked about today, all the links, and there's a lot of links in today's episode, can be found at scannerschool.com slash session 70. And like always, this session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. East Coast Pagers, again, is one of my companies, and we are a Unication Apollo and Swiss phone dealer serving the U.S. market. Now, East Coast Pagers sells alphanumeric, numeric, and voice pagers from Unication, Swiss phone, and Apollo. And again, if you're looking for the new G2s and the G3s, the P25 pages by Unication, the G4s, the G5s, we are taking pre-orders on the G2s and G3s, and we have very aggressive pricing on those. So contact eastcoastpagers.com for your individual or department quotes. Again, it's eastcoastpagers.com. Welcome to The Scanner School a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. All right, my name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this is Scanner School. We teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby, and we are building on that this week. So again, before we get to this interview, and we have Corrosive from the Signals Everywhere YouTube channel. He's redoing his website. He's got a brand new podcast out. And this ties in exactly to what it is that I'm working on over here, where I have my introduction to SDR training course. So last week on last week's podcast, session 69, I talked about validating a brand new SDR course. I'm very happy to say that we have the minimum required users signed up and paid for. So the course is going forward. So I'm very happy to all those. Thank you so much for signing up. We are going to take a maximum of 10 people. So I have room for only two more people in the live session. Now, again, the live session will be held Tuesday evenings, 9 p.m. local time to me, which is East Coast U.S. time. And it'll run four weeks starting May 7th. Now, I understand this isn't a great time for everybody, but I've got eight people signed up. And the whole point of this right now really is to validate the product it's to teach it to a small group of students, answer their questions, and use those questions to help build the course so that when I make it available to everybody else, it's the best course possible so that I can help you get into the SDR scene a whole lot easier and hopefully have all of your questions answered in the course material. So if you're listening to this and the course has been closed, or at least a live course has been closed, you can sign up for the waiting list at scannerschool.com slash courses. If you're away in the future and you're listening beyond you know April or May 2019, you can go to scannerschool.com slash courses, and chances are good you'll find the on-demand version of the SDR workshop ready to go and, and, and will be there. All right, so again, we have Corrosive from the Signals Everywhere YouTube channel on the podcast. There's a whole lot of notes here. There's a whole lot of links. They are at scannerschool.com slash 70. So with all that said, let's go right into the interview. It's a nice long interview. We did this on our, actually on a Friday night. So uh, again, corrosive. I hope you're listening. 
And again, I want to say thank you very much for being on the podcast. Here we go. All right, so right now we have a very special guest. And if I sound like a little bit of a fanboy, it's because I am. I've been watching these YouTube videos almost uh, for the last couple of months. And even though he's been doing it for the last few years, I'm quickly a fan of what uh, our guest can do today. So without me gushing too much about this, let me bring on Corrosive from Signals Everywhere. Corrosive, thank you so much for taking the time on a Friday night to sit down and talk with us. Thanks for uh, for being here. Oh, and, you know, thank you, Phil. You know, it's it's really flattering uh, to to hear that. And um, you know, as mentioned, I am uh, Corrosive, so I run the Signals Everywhere YouTube channel. And uh, essentially, what I do is uh, create videos and tutorials uh, based around software-defined radio, uh, everything from receive and transmit hardware to how to set up your software. Um, hopefully we'll start going into things like antennas, um, but we also do decoding and some satellite work as well. So I try to touch on as many bases as I can, um, while, you know, keeping with, um, some of the stuff that would be good for a, uh, a new user of software defined radio and then going into more advanced topics, uh, things that I just, no matter how much I search for it, I can't find it. And so I, I have this kind of inner need to kind of fill that hole that, you know, if there's something out there that I really want to do and I can't find anything on it, I figure, well, there must be other people that don't know how to do this too. And I try to, you know, make content that revolves around that. And and you do a really great job at doing that. So how did you get your start in software defined radios? What was like the first thing that got you interested in it? So I had always been interested in uh, radio and scanners in general. Um, I used to have an old crystal controlled scanner uh, back when I was in, shoot, maybe only third grade, something like that in elementary school. And it was just always interesting to me that I could pull something out of the air. And so when it came to software defined radio, um, this was probably roughly around the same time I was considering getting my amateur radio license. And I think it happened just a little bit before that. Um, I've always been a big fan of the... IPTV scene around kind of hacker culture and such. So before YouTube was a big thing, there were a lot of these kind of homegrown channels that did hardware hacking modifications, um, you know, guys that were showing you, like they were modifying, you know, R, um, FRS and other radios for different purposes and doing slow scan. And I always found that kind of interesting. And on their IRC server, and unfortunately they're not around anymore, uh, one of the guys there had shown me uh, a link to this thing on eBay and it was the original RTL-SDR, the DVB-T TV tuners that you had mentioned in uh, one of your previous episodes. And I was just blown away that I could go from listening to only one thing at a time to not only being able to see, you know, 2.5 or 3.2 megahertz of bandwidth at a time, but also being able to visualize that. So I could see, you know, where all these signals were coming from. And I could tune in all these different things, and it was just mind-boggling to me that I could go from something that was just a basic scanner that only did analog, and for, at the time, I think I was buying them for 10 bucks, maybe $6 a piece. It was right as this first happened, and I just, I couldn't get that out of my head that you could do so much with something so um, inexpensive, and it really just kind of exploded from there. Right, and like anything else, I mean, I those earlier dongles, I mean, they were they were great for what they did at the time, but what a pain in the neck they were to set up, right? I mean, adjusting the part per million and and having them drift on you, I mean, compared to what we have today, for not too much more, 
it's it's a whole new world race basically so it's a night and day difference so if anybody's getting started now it's a lot of the headaches have been um you know taken care of uh in, in getting started so what are you using now though i mean you started off with uh you know those those the cheap down and dirty you know uh, dv dvb dongles what what are you playing around with now as far as uh as far as dongles go so as far as your basic um, RTL-based receiver, um, you know I, I have quite a few in my collection now, but the three main ones that I generally tend to use, um, number one being the RTLSDR V3 blog from the RTLSDR.com uh, blog there. Uh, I think that's uh, Carl Lawfer runs that. And uh, those SDRs are very nice for the money. Um, without looking up the price, I think off the top of my head, they're right around $30 or so. But they have uh, a nice temperature-controlled oscillator in it, so it really helps reduce that drift. Uh, there's a software-enabled um, BIAS-T on it, so you're able to power something like a low-noise amplifier or, say, uh, an LNB for like down-converting uh, satellite. And then, um, you know, on top of all that, just the way that it's been designed, it stays nice and cool, um, which I have found to be very useful for things like L-band. Uh, I'm a fan of SATCOM, so I like to play around with Immersat and Iridium. And I find that a lot of the SDRs out there, especially the RTL-based ones, they still tend to drift in the L-band, but uh, the RTL Blogs V3 doesn't do that. Uh, the other two RTL-based um, dongles that I use tend to be the new Elec uh, NestDR and the NestDR SmartT. The uh, main difference between those is your new Elec uh, NestDR is really nice because it's compact. It has some similar features, but it's small enough that you can stack two of them in adjacent USB ports. And so if you're somebody that likes to do P25 uh, trunking and listening to these different systems where you have a voice and a control channel, it's really nice to be able to stack those SDRs right next to each other. Um, I actually have in my mobile, um, uh, my car, I have a USB hub with, I think, six software-defined radios now for tuning in all kinds of different things. And being able to put those next to each other has just been great. Without that form factor, I wouldn't have been able to. And uh, so the Smart T is essentially the same thing, but it has an always-on bias T. And I use that for some Iridium off of a, a modified GSM, or excuse me, a modified uh, GPS antenna on the car. So those are probably the top three that I play with. Uh, I also want to kind of mention as well the, uh, the AirSpy series is uh, pretty affordable, still kind of falls into that dongle category. And that also has your BIAS-T. Um, the nice thing with that is it's actually supported with SDR Sharp. And as much as I play with all these other software-defined um, applications, I still just I have a love in my heart for SDR Sharp. There's something about it, and it's what I've used on and off since I first got into software-defined radio. So the fact that I can turn it on and off within, within the program has just been really nice. And uh, it also has some tracking filters to help with... Uh, Oh, excuse me, with some of the interfering signals in my area. I have a, a pretty loud broadcast FM station and um, just across the street, and it helps out a lot with that. Yeah, that can't be any fun to have that sitting right across the street from you. So besides the dongles, I mean, and again, too, I like the – that was like my, 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 big, my first big investment into uh, SDR was using the um, – was it the AirSpy, right? That uh, – that's, that's the, what, the little gray box with the uh, micro USB connector on it, I think is what it was. Um so to me that was that was the big one that was like 199 dollars at the time and that was like all right if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna i'm gonna invest in it because i think that has what a 10 megahertz spread on it so it was it was nice to be able to put that onto a program like unitrunker and be able to get like the multiple vfos and or multiple control channels and uh you know and try and save a little bit of resources on that um i think that's which one that one is 
But besides the dongles and that kind of stuff, what else? Are you playing with anything else like the Hack RF or anything that's a big budget type of uh, of SDR? Yeah, so I have a few of the other software-defined radios that are transmit-capable, and those do tend to be uh, a bit of the... uh, I don't necessarily want to say it's high-tier, but it's probably mid-tier. Of the three major ones I have is the Hack RF, the Lime uh, SDR Mini, and the Pluto SDR. And, of course, those all have their own pros and cons. Uh, The HackRF being the most expensive at around $300. um, But it was just really amazing to me. It was actually the first software-defined radio I had with transmit capability. And uh, the fact that at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, I I believe this one came out before the AirSpy. I think it was right in that transitional period. Um, It was Michael Osmond uh, developed the HackRF as kind of an open-source project. And so that was one of the first, as far as I'm aware, that did transmit um, with 10 megahertz wide uh, receive capability, which was just, you know, uh, unspeakable at the time, uh, especially when I was coming from uh, the original DVB-T tuners that didn't even have, you know, good drift compensation to to go to something like that was crazy. Um, And that goes down as low as uh, 10 megahertz up to 6 gigahertz. Um, the, The downside with the Hacker F is that it's only half duplex. Um, so for a lot of your listeners, they may be familiar more with the term that, you know, it's simplex. They're not going to be able to do, you know, a duplex communication where they're transmitting and receiving at the same time. Uh, it's capable of doing one or the other, but you do have to switch between the two and it's not, um, unfortunately you can't switch it fast enough to use it as a transceiver, but, uh, for transmitting video or receiving a really wide signal, uh, it's really great for that. Um, the other one being the Lime SDR mini. Uh, the mini does up to 30 mega samples a second, uh, which is just insane to think of. Um, that one is uh, a 12-bit uh, ADC on it, so you do need USB 3 for that to uh, really give you the full range. And I, I can't say I've been able to take full advantage of that because uh, it's just so much data coming into your PC. It does tend to bog things down if you don't have anything that's uh, really able to keep up with the processing, uh, keeping in mind that it is all software defined. We have to be able to process that data. Um, but it's also full duplex and it has really, really nice Linux support. So you're able to do something like OpenBTS, which is essentially a cell site simulator, um, to put it in layman's terms, um, which, you know, obviously, unless you're, you know, taking, uh, good measures to make sure that signal's not, you know, wandering outside of your testing area. But, uh, it's just very interesting what you can do with that particular, uh, radio, um, the last one that I have here I do want to mention being the Pluto SDR. Uh, that does 325 megahertz to 3.8 gigahertz. It's also full duplex, so you can uh, transmit and receive at the same time. Uh, and I don't think I mentioned the, the Lime SDR Mini does as well. Uh, so those are both full duplex radios. Um, there's actually a software modification for the Pluto SDR, and I have a video on that on my YouTube channel. Um, but that goes 70 megahertz to 6 gigahertz potentially. Uh, there is variation with all of the chips that are made for that particular radio some some of them will open up to that full range but not necessarily all of them so um but it is guaranteed 325 to 3.8 gigs and that one is very very nice for uh, digital amateur television i like to transmit uh, dvbs with that and i'm currently working on a couple videos around um doing dvbs i got a, a couple of chinese uh, amplifiers that I'm going to be getting a filter for and seeing how far I can get a DVBS signal. And for those who happen to be in coverage of QO100, um, for those not aware, it's a it's the first geostationary amateur radio satellite. Uh, they have a transponder on board that'll let you do 
uh, DVBS digital video uh, in real time off of that transponder. And so a lot of guys are using the Pluto SDR as the transmit source for that. So um, very versatile, very capable radios, and uh, certainly a lot of things that I have planned for them uh, coming in the near future here. Very nice. That's, I mean, it's a lot more than I was, uh, <laughs> that I knew about to begin with. So uh, I have heard about, you know, the Hack RF, and I think there was the Lime one, but not the Pluto one. So that's, that's I'll look into that one. But you mentioned before, too, you have something set up in your car, and I've seen the videos on it, and it's it's pretty impressive. Can you explain what it is that you have as your mobile setup and how you have SDR working in there? And, I mean, go into the whole thing, too, with your, dis- <laughs> your, your, your nice little uh, Android display you have there and um, how you're using SDRs to kind of, um, you know, interface with your mobile environment. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, the mobile SDR kind of vehicle that I set up here, it, it really came out of a need to get away from QRM or just all the noise in my area. You know, being that I have a broadcast station, I think it's almost three kilowatts. Um, the 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 studio is literally across the street, and the transmitting station is just a couple miles up the road. And so it blows out airband even with a filter. Uh, I have problems with it. I can't get NOAA satellites at you know 137 megahertz, the APT stuff where you can pull images down from the NOAA birds. Can't do that from home. So I it kind of came out of the necessity that if I really want to start playing with this more, I need to have a station that is mobile. So what it started out with is I ended up getting an Android head unit um, to replace my existing stereo. And I realized pretty quickly that it had USB host support. So essentially what um, USB host mode does is it allows the Android uh, stereo, the Android operating system, to function similar to how you would um, use USB devices on a standard computer. So when I was playing around with that, I know that there's a lot of software-defined radio um, apps out there. And sure enough, because of that host mode, I was able to connect instead of you know, a flash drive for music files that was intended with it, I could plug in one of my RTL V3s and pull up ADSB for aircraft tracking and display that on my console. Or I could pull up the RF Analyzer app and I could see the waterfall on that little um, on that display that I had on my stereo. And once I kind of went there, I just really started digging into it. So I got a it's a Uniden BCD. Um, oh, I don't remember the exact model. Um, I'll, I'll give you all the information for it. But um, I got a, an old Uniden scanner that I found online. Uh, it had a cracked screen in it, and I couldn't really find a replacement for it. But it was a scanner that usually ran for. and I found that there was some software available for it so I could access it remotely with a serial port. So I figured, okay, well, I'll get a 5-volt, you know, down converter from 12, put that in the car, we'll run that to the trunk on a USB hub, and then I can control that scanner from a uh, Windows tablet. So Walmart at the time had some RCA Windows tablets for, like, under 130 bucks. So I grabbed one of those, uh, put a nice big uh, SD card into it, and I figured, okay, Anything that has a decent app for SDR I can put on the Android head unit. And anything that needs some more power or is only available in Windows, I can put on this tablet. And I got a nice mount for the uh, the passenger side there. And the first thing I did was install an application to allow me to remotely access my scanner. And so from there, I ended up adding a couple of software-defined radios. So I had two in the vehicle that I could use for tracking the P25 system. Um, at the time, I was using the SDR trunk software. Uh, which I believe, if I recall correctly, is based in Java. 
And yes. it was a nice way at the time. You can actually track a system using one SDR. You might miss some stuff, but you could start with just one. So I started there and eventually added another one for it so I could track both channels independently. And, you know, once I've got my analog scanning in there and now I've got, you know, digital scanning with my, uh, my SDRs, I started playing around with a couple other things. I, I got more interested in software, to, or excuse me, more interested in uh, satellite communications. And so what I ended up doing is I was able to pick up one of these NMO-mounted uh, GPS puck antennas. And I had seen a, an article on the RTL blog a while ago that you could go in and remove the 17, I think 1750 megahertz uh, filter in there for GPS and bridge that. And it would basically let you use the LNA that's in there along with the uh, patch antenna so that you could pull in just straight L-band without any filtering. And so I had run that down into the vehicle. I used the, uh, the NSDR Smart T because with that, I was able to power that with that always-on bias T. So I could power the active LNA that was built into the GPS antenna. And I ran that to the uh, PC there. So then I could pull in data from Iridium and Emersat. And so once I was able to do that, um, I was doing that with uh, the SDR Sharp software and just kind of being able to flip through all the available SDRs. Uh, what I wanted to do from there is I had one of those contour video controllers. I don't know if you've seen them before. No. Uh, well, essentially, they're made for video editing. So you have a bunch of different buttons on them for like pause, play, rewind. Um, you've got a little wheel for kind of tuning around the video. And somebody made a plugin for that that works with SDR Sharp. So instead, you can tune your uh, VFO with the knob on it, or you can twist it, and it will change the bandwidth of your audio filters. And it made a really nice interface where I could just, with one hand, move over, switch it from FM to AM modulation, tune up the band, you know, 3 megahertz over here, or tune it down just a few kilohertz. And it was a really cool way to kind of pan around the band and be able to pull all these different things in and it just kept growing from there uh so i think i have maybe five sdrs in there now um all running to that same pc i'm getting ready to do a another thing here i might be replacing the the p25 stuff with a raspberry pi so i can kind of segment that off away from the pc um and just kind of building upon it as i go and of course now i have all my amateur radio stuff in there as well so i have my 2 meter, my 440, uh, 220, P25, DMR, uh, you name it. Um, mm -hmm. Just about everything's in there at this point. Sounds like you need a bigger car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the guys at work call it uh, the hedgehog roller skate. <laughs> so what is it, because uh, now you got me curious, what is it you're picking up on the uh, Iridium and the, uh, the satellite stuff? Because I have never really, I've never played around with that at all. So there's three main uh, different um, satellites in two different bands that I tend to play around with just because they're the easiest to get into. Um, so the absolute easiest is UHFSatcom, and you can get that with anything from a whip antenna and an LNA. Yep. Yeah, those I've actually to... played around with just in the back patio. Okay. You just kind of like, you know, but just for anybody who's listening, I'll let you explain it. But yeah, that's, I mean, mostly you hear like what Portuguese or Spanish on there sounds like most of the time. But, yeah, usually uh, it's Portuguese, um, especially if you live in North America. Yeah. Um, from what I've researched and looked into, uh, basically what we have is it's a UHF um, transponder on a, a satellite here that um, you got people overseas down in Brazil who are hijacking it because it's literally just a repeater in the sky. There's no real security to it. Uh, you can pick up a lot of stuff. It's 
sometimes you get something interesting over it. But as you said, it's usually just guys speaking Portuguese and they're not really even authorized to be there. Um, but if you don't have LNAs and special antennas, that's usually one of the first places I point someone to when they're interested in satellite. Now, as far as Iridium and uh, Emersat, so that's going to fall into the L-band. And so Iridium is a really interesting thing because they have something called the Iridium Toolkit. And essentially what it does is it allows you to collect packets from all the different Iridium satellites as they pass overhead. So these are actually in low Earth orbit. And there could be as many as 10 or 15 of these um, within view at any given time as they pass overhead. Uh, with the Iridium Toolkit, a lot of that can be decoded. And if you're able to compile the AMBI codec for it, you can even uh, pull down voice. Um, now, of course, I couldn't speak to the legality of pulling voice off of those particular satellites, but it is something that you could potentially do with it. Um, from that, there's also things like marine warnings um, and lots of uh, kind of public messages that go out to ships um, and aircraft as well. So all of that stuff can be pulled in. Uh, there's also things like text messages that come over that. Um, and Inmarsat especially um, becomes interesting because Inmarsat, unlike Iridium, you're going to be able to point an antenna at a single satellite. You don't have to worry about it moving around and you know potential packet loss from you know a poor view of one section of the sky. As long as you can see line of sight, the Inmarsat satellite uh, just tons of things come over that. At one point, OuterNet was on that. And for those who don't know, OuterNet was a service that was using uh, software-defined receivers in, um, you know, specially designed hardware to automatically pull in data. And their idea was to create something similar to kind of like Wikipedia for those who didn't have access to the internet. And it was just a constant stream of data that you would decode. And they've, they've since moved to, um, I think, KA band using LoRa. So it's not quite as easy to get into with the software-defined radio, but uh, still possible. Um, but Emerson's going to have a lot of different things on it as well. Uh, those marine warnings are very pertinent. You'll see a lot of that. Um, I've seen things where there's like a piracy alert that, you know, say a specific area and whatever ocean, there's, you know, pirates that have been spotted where they have hijackings or something, and they're alerting to let other ships know to kind of be on the lookout for things like that. So you can really pick up some interesting information kind of going through that. And uh, they also have some uh, phone data up there as well, uh, which would be Immersat Arrow. And so the Arrow calls are interesting is because on L-band, uh, you get one direction coming from the aircraft. And then on C-band, you get the other direction um, going from, I think it's base to the aircraft on C-band and aircraft to the ground on L-band. So you only get half the conversation, but there's actually uh, call data from uh, aircraft on Emersat as well. And Emersat really changes um, all the time because they are a leased uh, satellite service. So if you have the money, you can actually go to Emersat and say, hey, I need to send such and such data to these areas, and they can set up spot beams to send that data down. So depending on the decoders that you have, uh, you can pull all kinds of interesting things down from those satellites. And you're just using a GPS antenna basically on, on the roof of your car with, with a uh, LNA on there to, to pull most of the stuff down. Yeah, most of that stuff, that's all I'm using. Um, in the mobile, I actually have it stacked with a second LNA uh, because it wasn't quite enough for uh, decoding some of the data. Okay. Um, but that's really all it takes. And if you have something directional, 
uh, you can actually get away without an LNA, and that's just using a basic RTL SDR. Uh, don't really need anything fancy as long as you have a good antenna. Right, and then really beautiful thing too about these uh, the, the the SDRs is you can basically plug them right into the feed horn almost, just with a little pigtail. So it's not like you're running this, this all this lossy coax into your you know onto your desk into the back of your computer where the radio is located. So it's really nice where you know you just run a really long USB cable, or like you said before, you use a Raspberry Pi. And you can then just tell that into or SSH right right into the uh, what was it TCP <laughs> into into the raw stream that's coming off of the uh, the the RTL I mean, I'm sorry the SDR and it's great because now you, you've you've eliminated all that loss you know in, in the coax so what what can be done as far as uh, satellites go and I know a lot of people I haven't even really played play with this myself yet either though is uh, you know receiving the GOES satellite from NOAA. Uh, that they have the, the two new satellites up there now, and people are just bringing in all these wonderful pictures. And it's it's nice, too, to see them online. I think they do it on, on Reddit a lot as well, too. So they say, oh, you know, I'm getting closer. I'm tweaking my station. I'm getting more of a decode on here. And I think that, I, I said it before, too, I think that the SDRs are, like, the next part of the scanner radio hobby. Like, this is what, you know, is going to bring interest into it. It used to be back, you know, I think when you and I started, there wasn't anything like, you know, you had police call as far as the book goes. Maybe you had a, a website that had a couple of information on there, but you were really finding this stuff out on your own. And that was really the exciting part of the hobby was finding something new. And a lot of it's now is spoon fed to us, you know, and, and no, no, you know, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I think it's, it's a lost art trying to find information out and trying to play with the radio and trying to discover new things to do with it. And, um, I really think that SDR is allowing more people to, to scratch that itch and to find that this is something that is, you know, that, that, that they can do and it's affordable. And uh, it's, it really is like one of those pieces of the hobby that I'm glad to see coming back. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in a forum, uh, it, it's almost like a renewal. Like you said, it's almost like the next stage of that hobby because I've run into so many people, especially since I started this channel, that they never really had an interest in radio necessarily. You know, maybe their grandparents had a scanner or something and they didn't think a whole lot of it. And more than likely, at least if I were to guess, that's because they're probably just li- listening to, you know, their local PD. Maybe they're listening to the railroad, um, you know, just the, the basic things, you know, to stay informed in their area. And, you know, all of a sudden you put this in their hands and, not only can they see all of that, and not only can they visualize that, but now they have such a wide tuning range, and it's so affordable that you know, yeah, they can hear these guys who are you know working on the railroad, but you know they can also decode ATCS and actually see where the train is on the line, or you know you can listen to the ATC tower if you're interested in aircraft, and now with SDR you can tune it to you know 1090. Uh, pull up ADSB software to do decoding, and now you can track those aircraft as you're listening to them. And it really kind of added a whole other layer to the hobby that I think um, people who have you know been in the scanning hobby for a, a while appreciate if they've played with it. And you also have people who know nothing about radio, and they're just baffled that all of this data is floating around them, and now they have a way to to access it and actually play around with some of it. Yep, I did the exact same thing last year. Was uh, around the air show time, I, I got involved with uh, ADSB, and it was the first time I actually set one of those up and was monitoring not only the air show, you know, over the scanner, which I normally do, but.
but I had the ADS-B feed going as well. So now I was streaming both the audio and the visual, and it was very interesting just to see where the performers were as they were circling just outside of Airshow Center, waiting for their turn, you know, their turn to come in and, and perform. So that was really cool. And uh, the next little that too, now we have a 978. I forget what um, uh, what what that protocol is, but that has been uh, added now into Flight Aware. So they they got the antennas now and the filters for that. So I know when I you know see some helicopters go flying overhead, I don't see them pinging on on ADSB. So they must be on uh, 978. So that extra layer is coming in too. And plus you have eight cars coming in, so you can see all the data terminals. And and again, this is all like. You know, you have this, the hardware, $30, and you just keep finding the software that does all this stuff. And it just keeps opening up doors and opens up more doors and opens up more doors. And, uh, again, just even taking a $30 dongle and turning it into a $700 scanner. You know, because they all have IQ receives in them. And, and just, you know, just to be able to monitor what's what's going on. And as you said, too, visualizing it, right? I mean, to, to, so we can paint a picture so that those who haven't used SDR Sharp can actually visualize this in their heads as they're listening to this, right? You've got... The display, it's a computer control program. This is a Windows-based software, at least for SDR Sharp. And you've got, you know, your your uh, your frequency dial on there where you can you can set your frequency. You can set your, your, your mode, AM, FM, wide FM. But what you were saying before is this waterfall display. And what that does is it, it actually shows you when somebody's transmitting within your visible window, you'll see the line and you'll see it, right, color-coded based on how hot that receive is. So as you're kind of tuning or just watching the waterfall, you can see that somebody had transmitted on that frequency. And it's nice because it's a waterfall, so it's time-based. So it could be somebody transmitted there 30 seconds ago. And now you know to sit there and watch that frequency to see if somebody had trans- will transmit there again and who they are. Or if you're watching a trunk system and you're trying to figure out this LTR, not LTR, but it's this uh, DMR system because you have to put the logical channels in. You can actually look at the window and you can watch the control channel on one screen and say, oh, somebody's on a voice channel, you know, whatever it is. And you're just watching the spectrum to see when you see on that waterfall display when somebody keys up. So using, again, SDR Sharp, which is free, it's, it's, it does visualize what you, what you got over the air. But also, too, and we have people out there like, you know, I'm a Mac user. And there's software that will work on this for the Mac. You have Linux users. I mean, Ubuntu has... You know more than enough pieces of software that I think comes with it or is part of the repository. So no matter what flavor or what you're running with, even if you're running with a Raspberry Pi, which what sets you back? What's a Raspberry Pi? Thirty dollars now? Sixty dollars now? I think that's what about the case. thirty dollars. Yeah, I mean, and you can be off to the races with a Raspberry Pi, and that's what I'm trying to get into now is is trying to free up some resources. So um, that's what I want to touch base with you too. Is you have a lot of SDR dongles, you have a lot of SDR hardware. Um, you're running tablets, you're running screens, you're running Windows computers. If somebody wanted to plug in two or three or, or even more than that, besides using USB hubs, what do they have to be aware of as far as plugging multiple SDRs in? Is it something to do with um, you know, making sure they have the right amount of channels in a USB hub or multiple USB you know, cards in there? Obviously, you want to use USB 3. But if somebody wants to expand and they want to get into you know, using more than, you know, a handful of SDRs, what, what do they have to be aware of? What kind of processor do you recommend? And, and, you know, stuff like that for somebody who wants to take it even further than just monitoring their local P25 system. Yeah. So, you know, as far as uh, plugging in multiple software to find radios, the, the big question you need to ask, depending on what it is you're trying to do is, you know, 
how much spectrum is it that you're looking to receive? Um, you know, in some cases, I might be talking to somebody who they just want to monitor maybe six megahertz of bandwidth. And, you know, maybe they're looking to take three RTL SDRs and try to tie those together. And while you can do that, in that case, I would say, well, hey, in this case, why don't we get an AirSpy or, you know, maybe a HackRF or a Pluto? Uh, because these are going to, you know, provide you upwards of 10 mega samples a second or more. Um, you know, depending on what you're looking to do, you can chain multiple SDRs together. I know, um, I can't think of the, uh, actually, you know, I think it was the guy who actually um, built the AirSpy. Uh, I can't remember his name offhand. Um, Prague. Yeah, Prague, who actually um, builds the SDR Sharp software and the AirSpy hardware, uh, I believe was the one who did this, is they had, uh, I think, between six or maybe more SDRs all kind of chained together so they could provide a full uh, UHF SATCOM web SDR available to anyone. And it's basically like looking at SDR Sharp through a web browser. So you can kind of go through everything even if you don't have an SDR. And he was providing this kind of free and open to everybody at the time. And so what you really need to look at if you're you're trying to do something like that that really does need to incorporate so many software-defined radios is that, you know, the first thing you need to make sure is that do you have enough current? Can you pull enough power from your supply source to power all of these SDRs? Um, a lot of them are going to take maybe 350 milliamps upwards to 600 milliamps per SDR. And if you're going to chain a bunch of those together, you need to make sure that you can handle those current requirements. So I would recommend for sure, use a USB hub, but make sure it's a USB hub that's powered. Um, if you can get something that has an aluminum housing on it to help keep out some of that interference. Um, and of course, making sure that the power that you're getting into that hub is a clean source as well. You don't want to have to, you know, have to worry about introducing noise into those signals. Um, you know, another thing being, of course, like you said, USB 3.0 is going to help tremendously with this, but you need to make sure you have enough USB on your USB, um, oh, what's the word? Not your USB uh, hub, but enough bandwidth on the, the USB bus. Uh, bus. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to make sure you got enough bandwidth on that bus. Uh, you know, whether that means you're using, like on a laptop, you might be lucky enough that you have two separate buses on the left and right hand side, or in the case of a PC. Uh, you've got, you know, your primary bus on the motherboard, and then you can drop in another uh, PCI card that has more SD, or excuse me, more USB ports on it uh, to kind of increase that as well. Now, an alternative to that, depending on your uses, would be using something like RTL-TCP, which is a software application that lets you take that IQ data, package it over a TCP stream so you can run it over the network. And now generally you're probably only talking about two mega samples or so um, through an external network. Uh, and you might be able to push it to three or four if you're on a LAN. Um, and that's another way that you can kind of move data. I've seen a lot of people who what they'll do is they'll buy a Raspberry Pi with their um, SDR attached to it. They'll put it in a weatherproof enclosure and they'll put it outside. And then they run uh, PoE Ethernet back down to their house and they'll use RTL TCP to actually send that information to your uh, to their computer. So you could use RTL TCP on say seven, eight or nine different software defined radios and then bring them all to a central point using TCP instead of your uh, you know USB uh, bus. Right, you ever see uh, Fuzz the Pie guy uh, on YouTube? He, he has, um, can't say I have, okay, I don't you, think. You gotta, you gotta check him out. So he does a lot of Raspberry Pi uh, type of uh, videos. 
but he's been getting into the the SDR scene a little bit as well. So one of his last videos he had was just exactly what you described. He has a, uh, a satellite pointed up, and I think he's just trying to get just GOES satellites for right now. But it was outside in a snowstorm, and he opens up, you know, he he opens up his uh, his his uh, box there and he, the weather type box, and he's got the Raspberry Pi in there with the with the with the dongle on it and everything else. So. Uh, exactly what you say is, is what's on his channel, but he takes it one step further. He's got this giant outdoor box, and he's got like like half a dozen pies sitting in there, which is ridiculous. But they're all doing something individual. I mean, that's you know a tangent of what 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 you were just talking about. But uh, a lot of them do have you know uh, sticks on them for different kinds of receptions. So and again, he he has a video on there how to do the TCP and pull the data off of it so that he can you know get into his remote system and i thought about doing the exact same thing when it comes to adsb which is putting a raspberry pi in my detached garage with a dongle on it instead of running everything back into here it's a whole lot cheaper just to put the the hub outside and you know a switch and then just bring that into the house and and be done with it that way so uh there's a lot that you can do with it and these these things are definitely i mean very flexible so like i said it's it's very exciting as to what you can do here Absolutely. And, you know, mentioning ADSB and, you know, trying to run that out to your garage. I know you mentioned Feedline earlier on, uh, especially when you start talking about microwave frequencies like 1090, uh, mm-hmm. 1.09 gigs. You know, there's so much loss in that that it's just amazing that rather than, you know, running expensive Feedline all the way back to the house and dealing with those losses, I can place my antenna directly at the SDR and then just hook a little mini PC like the Raspberry Pi to it and run network to the house, and you actually end up with, in that case, probably a much better signal than you would even if you had really high-quality feed line just because you're able to place it directly at the receiving source. Yep. I mean, they do that now. I mean, I work for AT&T, and that's exactly how we do our radios now. It's, it's Everything's all tower-mounted, and it's just jumpers to the antenna now. So that's, you know, to keep the losses down. So it's everybody's doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep the losses down, and it's a lot easier to run, uh, you know, some Ethernet or some fiber than uh, to deal with uh, AirCore or something else of that nature, for sure. Right. So, what is it that you're working on now? I mean, I know you've got, like I said, you got the YouTube channel, and you got a lot of videos in the queue. But what's uh, what's the latest project that that's kind of got you tied down right now and got your interest? So, I usually I'm juggling about five or six things at a time. Um, the main things I'm kind of touching on right now is I have. And I, I can't go too much into detail on this one, but it's essentially uh, a mini PC uh, type of scanning device I'm kind of working on. Hopefully going to do some digital decoding with that. Um, I'll have some more information as I kind of move forward with it. Um, aside from that, I'm working a lot with the DVBS stuff and working toward being able to transmit some digital amateur television, see how far I can get that uh, you know, I've always loved the idea of, say, running a TV station, even if it's, you know, just amateur television. But there's always been that hindrance of I live north of the A-line in uh, North America, so I'm not able to transmit in most of the uh, ATV band. But with, um, you know, SDR and DVBS as a digital medium for doing that, I can get my signal under a megahertz of bandwidth, which is really unheard of when you think about uh, analog television where your signal is probably upwards of 6 megahertz wide. So I'm looking for cheap ways to try and do 23-centimeter ATV as well as 70-centimeter. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the right amplifiers to do the job. And uh, the other one I'm working on is I have a 
couple of tutorial series I'm working on with the Kerberos SDR. Uh, so that's the four RTL SDR coherence device that the RTL uh, SDR blog came out with. And it's for direction finding and um, passive radar. So I've done a initial direction finding uh, tutorial on how to set it up and how to get it working. Uh, my next videos in that regard are going to be uh, doing both passive radar, and I'm also going to track down a uh, Ohio Marks IP tower site, which is our P25 simulcast system. Uh, we have a site out here that's uh, kind of actually off on its own, not a part of the simulcast. So I'm going to, hopefully if the weather uh, agrees with me, essentially I'm going to be making a video of setting up the RDF equipment with the Kerberos SDR, and then tracking down the control channel of that particular tower site so I can show um, how this works and what multipath might look like on a bearing compass to kind of give people a better idea of how they can go forward with something like direction finding and um, fox hunting or looking for signals out in the wild. So those are probably the main things there. And um, while I'm at it, I kind of want to throw out there, I'm also working on a couple requested videos of doing some transmit stuff with... Um, SDR Angel and SDR Console, and I'm hoping to, in the very near future, I still have a few things I need to tweak, but I'm looking to do a software-defined QSO over one of the amateur satellites. So hopefully I can do that in the, the coming weeks here. I, I still have a few cables I have to make up and some testing with software, but hopefully I can do that, and if it's successful, uh, you guys will be seeing a tutorial on uh, how to do it as well. Sounds like you have a lot of... Uh... A lot of things going on there. I think you're you're in good company, though. I mean, I think you and I are kind of the same when it comes to that. There's a lot of uh, a lot of little shiny objects, and it sounds like we both have the squirrel <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> we're we're both uh, you know grabbing at things to do. So you also like we talked about too. You got your YouTube channel. Which how can we find you on on YouTube? So you guys can find me on YouTube. It's over at uh, YouTube.com/signalseverywhere, and so I release new videos every Tuesday at 7:30 a.m. Eastern time. And it's usually going to be a software-defined related tutorial, but I'm also working on doing some technical vlogs and some other things as well to kind of mix the content in. But uh, you'll certainly be seeing weekly content uh, every Tuesday from me. And they're very well put together, too. It's not like it's just, you know, uh, a shaky cam. I mean, the videos that you put out are phenomenal. How long? It must take you the whole week to put the video together. I mean, how long does it usually take you? Uh, really depends on the video. If it's something that's done in software, it probably takes me a week to figure out exactly, like, for example, let's say it's something that I haven't had a whole lot of experience with and I have to research it. In the case of something like that, it's probably about a week worth of research and configuring software and making sure it functions. And then generally, I'll try to record assuming it's all just software screencast, and I do have quite a bit of those that are all screencast related, uh, those can take anywhere from two to three hours just to record a 10-minute tutorial, and then I probably spend another hour to an hour and a half, um, sometimes two hours, doing the editing on that video. And I'm, I'm kind of getting my process together to speed that up a little bit, but uh, certainly when it comes to some of the newer topics or keeping on top of new software that comes out, uh, there's a bit of a learning curve where I have to get myself up to date before I can show others how to do it. And yeah, I'd say it probably takes a week to go from an idea to uh, a, a video that's ready to go and, and be um, uploaded. Right. Yeah, it's I, I can definitely feel that. <laughs> I've been there, done that as well. And then you have something new, obviously, too, right? You have a brand new podcast. So how's that working out for you? 
So the podcast is going pretty well. Um, that is um, off the air uh, is what we're calling the podcast. So it's off the air, the Signals Everywhere show. And so the first video that I or first video, I'm so used to YouTube. Uh, <laughs> the first episode that uh, we did was based around, um, you know, if you're new to software defined radio, which one is best for you based on what you're looking for. And that was kind of the main focus of uh, that particular podcast. I also touched on some cool things from the RTL SDR blog that I liked and wanted to kind of emphasize, as well as talked about the QO100 or the IsHelsat2 satellite, uh, because it was just such an amazing achievement to finally have a geostationary amateur satellite. And hopefully North America will be seeing one soon because I can't wait to talk to a satellite like that. It's um, I, I'd fly over there today if I had the money, put it that way. Nice. And then you also have a brand new or you're a refurbed website, right? You're kind of like uh, bringing it back, I guess, from where it was originally. Yeah. So the uh, the website is uh, signalseverywhere.com. And so I had been running it through uh, WordPress for a while there. And I finally kind of came to the point where I'm able to do a lot with WordPress, but I'm not getting the design quite the way I want it. And my content is kind of fractured in how it's placed. So with the new signalseverywhere.com website, I've been able to bring everything kind of into one wheelhouse. So from that website, you can easily get to my podcast. You can get to the forums. I've got my blog hosted there. We've got links to, I have an Instagram account where I upload. Um, sometimes it's behind the scenes photos of projects I'm working on. Instagram, more often than not, I'm taking photos of tower sites. Uh, I work for a, a Motorola dealer uh, in Ohio, so we're always going to different tower sites and stuff. And every now and then I find something that's just really cool that I, I can share with people. So sometimes that'll end up there. And I'm also able to, of course, bring in videos from my YouTube channel and uh, Twitter and just kind of bring it all under one house. So that way I can present somebody with that single address and they can kind of find everything that pertains to what I'm about. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can all share some knowledge and, and learn from uh, each other. Right. It sounds it sounds exciting. That's what I use uh, Instagram for, it too. It's always nice to have the behind the scenes, too. That uh, helps keep things going. And I also noticed, too, now you also have a Patreon support. So if anybody is interested in helping support uh, Corrosive and what he's doing, uh, your Patreon is, is very affordable. I think uh, you've priced it very well with that. And uh, I know you're getting some traction on there, and it helps keep – I mean, SDRs, while they're cheap, you're buying a lot of them. <laughs> so <laughs> you got a lot going, and it's taking – like you said, you're putting out a video every week, and it's taking you a week to do all the materials. So – um, it's a lot of, a lot of labor. It's a labor of love mostly to, to do all this stuff, but, uh, it's, it's, it's nice that you took that part of the hobby and you've, you're sharing it with everybody else, which is why I wanted to have you on here as well, because you, uh, do a very good job at explaining what it is that you're, that you're doing. Um, you've, uh, you've, you, the, like I said, the videos are very polished. So just going through, uh, the short videos that you, that you have, I mean, none of them are really too long that they're going to eat up your whole afternoon trying to learn how to do this. You kind of get right to the chase and, um, you know, it's it's the perfect way to digest the next part of the SDR puzzle. And it's in, this is like a thousand-piece puzzle that we're talking about here that's going to take, you know, it, there's a lot you can do here. And so it, it's amazing that, that you're, uh, you're able to do this for everybody. And, and I, for one, definitely appreciate it. I've, I've also learned quite a bit just from watching your videos. And I, I know that, you know, our listeners here should definitely check check you out as well. So... Is there uh, anything else you want to bring up before we uh, we sign off? Uh, there was a, a point I was going to make earlier on. Um, sure, go ahead. I don't know. Maybe we can 
move, maybe you can move it around. Um, yeah. You had mentioned earlier on, and uh, I, I kind of, <laughs> I tend to ramble, so I got off track there. But when you had mentioned, you went into detail about the SDR waterfall and how it was visualized much more eloquently than I ever have. Um, very, very well uh, put. I kind of wanted to mention um, after you had brought that up, um, I was able to find there was, um, I was, let's see, where was I? I was in West Virginia. Uh, we were doing some work with a power plant and uh, right over the border there of that state, uh, we were staying at a hotel and being able to visualize that, as you mentioned, that was in the, uh, it really takes radio into the time domain, being able to see, you know, when, you know, the signal comes in and, and in this case, what I, what I ended up running into was I saw this signal that every five seconds or so, I was just seeing a little blip and it sounded familiar, but I couldn't make out what it was. And just every five seconds, I saw this little blip. And so, like you said, with the time domain, it really allows you to see something that if I was using a traditional scanner, I probably never would have caught that. Or if I did catch it, I probably wouldn't have caught it at that five second interval. And so I was able to sit there and just kind of listen for a bit. And I found out it was the rest channel for the DMR um, capacity site that they had um, at the hotel. And so later on that night, I'm actually listening to all the hotel staff running around and listening to the custodians and security and everything else. And it, it made for an interesting way to end my night um, after a long day's work. And I just wanted to mention that after you brought up, you know, so eloquently how the waterfall brings that into that time domain and you can really pull things out that you probably would have missed otherwise. Yeah, you got lucky on that one because I took a cruise and I brought a couple of dongles with me, you know, because you can't bring a radio, but eh, these are USB sticks. <laughs> what, what do they know? <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm doing the exact same thing and I, I find that there's the, uh, the DMR repeater on the ship. And uh, unfortunately, it was all encrypted, which which really wasn't a lot of fun. But just to be able to see that this this you know this is coming through, and I can see you know things are moving around, and I use DSD Plus just to kind of get a, a footprint and and see what the radios were and see where things were going with it. But again, using SDR Sharp to see where the different channels were and everything like that. So I was at least able to map out the system, even though I couldn't really hear what was going on. But when we ported. You know, our destination again to bring up SDR Sharp, and then all of a sudden, I see all the trunking sites out there, and, and you know everything else. Uh, again, a lot of it was encrypted where we went, but there was still some business plan stuff that was in the open, and just to hear these guys on the radio and talking in their accents and what it is they're going and doing on the weekend. I mean, it sounded like it was a construction crew, but again, you know, you wouldn't have found the stuff, or you could have found it with a traditional scanner. But getting into it with SDR Sharp, or again, whatever flavor you're using, if you're using, um, was it G? GQRX, I think, with Mac or um, yep, I, GQRX I, is Mac and Linux. Right, right, and uh, again, that's very easy to compile if, you, if you've never ever compiled anything in the past. I mean, uh, I think I put it together here on my Mac in about you know two or three minutes. It's it's very simple to do, and again, just because you have to compile something shouldn't scare you away from doing it. Usually, when you when if you're building something for Linux or for the Mac, and somebody wants to show you how to do it, that They've they've stepped it out for you, so that's very easy to follow along and, and to get the information there as well. So, compiling software should never scare somebody from trying something new. That's the whole point of trying something new. You gotta you gotta start from somewhere, so so you learn. But uh, absolutely, 
I mean, that's how I got into the Raspberry Pi was just by necessity. And then you start learning how to compile software. And, and now it's, you know, I still need to refer back to it, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of compiling software for my, my web host and from the computer here and for my backup servers. And, um, you know, I was even doing, uh, you know, weather stuff that you're compiling a software for. So it, it, it shouldn't scare anybody away from doing anything. But getting back to what we were talking about with SDR, there's, there's a lot that's, that's happening now with it. I think that it's just going to keep increasing and ramping up. And it's just the, the future of what this can bring is, is it's just amazing of what we have, what we started with here, what we got and where we're going is such a short, I mean, we're talking about how, how many years do you think this has, has really been, been picking off about the last five, six years, maybe, maybe a little bit yeah, more. I'd say that. that's pretty, yeah, probably right in that ballpark. Right. So to go from, you know, just somebody realizing that they can take a TV tuner, and rewrite the driver so that they can actually receive something to all the stuff that we're doing now with these SDRs and all the hardware that's coming out of it, right? Because most of this stuff is, it, it, it's just real, it's, it seems like it's very easy for these guys to create, even though it's a lot more involved with it. But, um, you know, what's happening with it, that the speed that it's going at, I think that the next couple of years too is just going to be uh, amazing. And it wouldn't surprise me if more people get into the SDRs because instead of, again, instead of buying the, the latest and greatest $700 radio that they want to play around with P25, but they have simulcast issues. Again, you know, two SDR dongles is really all they need uh, potentially to be able to pick up their latest system. It might be as, might not be as elegant as a set top box, but, you know, if you're going to be sitting in front of your computer listening to this anyway, you might as well turn your computer into a radio. Absolutely, and you know, and and in the case of, you know, tracking something like a P25 system, you get the added benefit with software-defined radios. Not only can you hear everybody, but you can see, uh, like you mentioned in your SDR um, introduction podcast uh, episode, you can see who's affiliating and who's going in and out of each site and all the sites around you. And it's such a amazing wealth of information that uh, you otherwise wouldn't have had access to even with some of the most expensive digital scanners. Right. And even to, to uh, go on that as well is now you have sites or, or trunking systems with multiple sites. So the neighboring county for me is building out a P25 system. So you can actually really cheaply, you know, affordably put one SDR on each site that you, at least you can monitor and then see what's going on. Maybe you're finding a talk group isn't on every single site. Maybe a talk group is on the whole, you know, all the sites. So it really helps you to get a lay of the land or maybe you're going to find a, you know, a, a, a talk group that you never would have found because you're not listening to that site full time or your scanner's just locked on the other control channel. So again, even using SDR, if that was a priority talk group, your scanner may, may never know it's even transmitting. Maybe, maybe, you know, that it's on the network. But now if you're running something like DSD Plus or Unitrunker and you're watching all the sites that you can receive and you have the VFOs on it or VCOs, you can then, you know, get onto that talk group and never miss a transmission on there as well. So, again, trying to do that. If you had to have three scanners that were P25 capable, you're looking at about 350 bucks just to, you know, just to get out of the box and get running with it. So to do that with just you know, a handful of dongles is is crazy. And, in fact, I'm even looking at doing two is, you know, the new P25 system. It's been requested for me multiple times. You know, can you just make a dedicated uh, live feed just for the precinct? And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I could do that, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. But now just saying, well, I could just get a Raspberry Pi for 30 bucks, two dongles, so I'm invested $90, and I could really just set up, you know, one one Raspberry Pi would handle the whole live feed and everything and just watch that one talk group 
and it would be you know it it wouldn't be cheap cheap you know being at the seven precincts but it is available to do and if there's enough of demand for it and i can get backers for it it's it's very very easy to uh to justify doing something like that so it's it's great you know that we can we can do these things now Absolutely. And, you know, it brings a lot of people into the hobby that couldn't otherwise. And I just wanted to, I know I could talk about this for days, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I wanted to mention, um, just you bring it up, you know, uh, how you said that, you know, you can pull up something like DSD plus and go through and, and learn about, you know, talk groups that maybe you're on this site and they're not on this site. And I think, um, uh, looking back on radio reference, that was, you know, a huge thing for me, um, when I really started getting into scanning because, you know, you've already got all this stuff mapped out. But I think there's kind of a disconnect that a lot of people see on um, radio reference. They see the analog stuff, and I think it's pretty well understood that that's all user-submitted. And then they look at the P25 systems on there, and I think a lot of people get the false sense that that's the entire system. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, just like scanning an analog and discovering all these things that you didn't know were there – you run into the same thing on these digital systems, and just because it's not listed there on radio reference doesn't mean it's not out there. And I think that's one of the most fun thing, uh, things about the hobby is discovering all these things in your area that you would have otherwise had no idea existed. Right, and that's what I was getting at before, too, with the spoon-feeding the information was that you know the information is so readily available. And, you know, people just look at that and they say, okay, and they, and they program their, their radios. Again, using software like Unitrunker or, or DSD+, Plus, you can log the system and then find those missing talk groups and then just isolate them and then wait for them to come back on again and maybe record them. Or if they're encrypted, at least look at the user IDs that are on there and see if you see them in other parts of the system. So, like, my local P25 system in my county is completely encrypted, basically, except for Medcom and Fire. PDE is, is completely locked down. There's no way of knowing what's going on on there. But I was able to map out the system because in the transition period from the analog to now the encrypted P25, they would bring up both at the same time. It was simulcast. So I can listen to the analog channel and then see what was going on on the encrypted side. And not only was I mapping out the talk groups, but I was also mapping out the users. And then by seeing where each user went, I said, okay, that must be that precinct admin channel. That must be their detail channel. This must be a you know a, a EAB channel, or this must be a certain type of tactical channel, just by knowing where the radio IDs were going. So and again, I found out two radio IDs were mounted to uh, were affiliated with RMPs or the police units that were out there. So it was very easy then to really start creating the map because I knew that the you know the the sector IDs or the or the or the radio IDs that belonged to the to the vehicles made it even easier. And again, doing that you couldn't do that with a radio because you can't hear what's going on. But with a an SDR or at that time a, a, a just a regular radio that had the IF port on it, I was able to map out a completely a complete system without really even being able to listen to it. And again, that was pretty exciting in its own. Just just knowing that that information was out there. That uh, yeah, I can't see what's going on, but maybe there will be an unencrypted talk group on there, and I'll pick up on it right away because now I'm I'm looking for it. And again, to keep the stuff running in the background, you can go back to it what once a week and just see what's what's new on there. That's, I mean, I was putting my logs up there once a month to say they're building out the system. These are the active talk groups. These are the ones that are encrypted. These are the ones I don't know. And just filling in the gaps with just a couple of people made it uh, really exciting and a real good sense of community too. Like you, you'd find people that had the same interests. And again, I you know we have interest in scanning, but you're going to find those people who are interested in needing to know that next level that's out there that you know SDR allows you to do as well. 
anything else before we uh we wrap up i know we're we're getting kind of late here <laughs> yeah i know i uh <laughs> i ramble a lot <laughs> that's okay i don't mind um there was um at least one other thing I, I can recall that i wanted to mention earlier so i had a uh I, I need to make more on this series. I, I've only done a little bit with it, but uh, I'm hoping to do some more with it here in the very near future on my YouTube channel. Is I have a playlist on the the main page there. Uh, it's called um, Radio Exploration Series, <clears throat> and so the whole idea of the Radio Exploration Series is essentially driving around in my mobile uh, and checking to see what things I can find. And at the time, I, I've had this huge plan that unfortunately it's not going to work out in this car. Um, but I was going to add a PC to the trunk and multiple cameras with OBS to record it. And I was actually going to have, um, basically uh, the ability to record while I'm driving around and finding different signals all over the place and try to make, you know, some really, really cool videos out of it. And unfortunately the, the cost for a computer that can handle that, that can also run in, in the trunk of the vehicle is just not, um, really on par with what I can do at the moment. Um, but out of that came some, some cool videos still. I had one in particular, <clears throat> uh, was where I was over in the parking lot of uh, a Circle K gas station and I was somewhere, um, around 70 centimeters and I kept seeing some digital data show up and it didn't take long to realize I was looking at OOK or on off keying. They had a, uh, a little doorbell inside each of the stores, and I believe this is um, nationwide uh, for all Circle Ks because uh, I worked at one at one point, and they had them too. But uh, essentially every time the door opens, that OOK signal gets spat out, and that's so that way a bell goes off in the cooler or a bell goes off in the office. So no matter where employees are in the store, they know, hey, somebody's coming in. So I'm sitting out in the parking lot listening to this frequency, and on screen I'm showing that Every time somebody comes in and out of the store, you hear that tone go off. And it's just one of those other, you know, just one of those things that maybe you don't think about, um, just signals everywhere. And that's really kind of how the, the name of the channel came about, is you find these signals, you know, just everywhere, all over the place, where you didn't necessarily expect to find something. And, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, right next to you, there's something that's telling you, hey, somebody's entering and exiting this building or, hey, this red light is turning green at this intersection because they're linked over, uh, you know, an AFSK link on this frequency. And it's just insane the amount of things that you can find. And <clears throat> software-defined radio certainly made that, at least for me, uh, a much easier task. And, and with the ability to, to view it on that waterfall visually, it's just been a crazy experience to be able to find all that stuff. Right, and the software, like you said before, this the software is out there for a lot of stuff as well. So it's not just digital noise anymore, or just you know a data transmission. Sometimes you know, you'll find a software out there that allows you to actually see what's going on, or visualize it, or even paint the picture on your screen when it comes to uh, to what's going on. So again, we touched about uh, you talked about the watching the trains where they are on the track. I mean, you can get the um, the locations of of ships, right? Cargo containers, uh, airplanes. I mean, who knows? I mean, it, there's a lot of other stuff out there that uh, that's really cool. So again, SDR is is really allowing all of us to do the exact you know taking our our hobby to the next level. So uh, again, where can uh, people find you online? So the easiest way to find um, myself and everything that I do online is going to be signalseverywhere.com. That's going to link in my YouTube, uh, my Twitter, and everything else. You'll find I'm most active on uh, YouTube and Twitter. So all my videos are going to be on youtube.com. 
uh, slash signals everywhere. And you can find me on Twitter as corrosive underscore SE as in uh, signals everywhere. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Again, I, I want to uh, get everybody over to your channel as well. So we'll link to all those in the session notes. And uh, again, I would love to have you back on again because we can probably talk about this for another couple hours. So maybe we just do a little, <laughs> a couple of segments here. But I think this is a good, good primer, and hopefully it gets a lot more people interested in uh, in checking out SDR. So again, I want to thank you again for uh, for coming on and uh, and and being our guest today. Oh, absolutely, Phil. And, you know, I, I really appreciate that uh, you know you reached out to me and and we're interested in having me on here. So it's it's been an honor and a privilege. And uh, you know that's. And what, what more can I say? I'm, I'm flattered and I'm glad that uh, you had me on here. And hopefully I was able to provide some information that uh, your listeners uh, found helpful and interesting. Okay, great. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. Again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much, Corrosive, for taking the time on a Friday night to sit down and do that interview with me. I really appreciate you being there. Again, it, I think it was pretty obvious that uh, I was having a little bit of a fanboy moment when we first started the podcast recording. So, again, I'm very happy to have him on the podcast. And, again, there's a bunch of links on here. So you can go to scannerschool.com slash session 70 and grab all the links. So you can go to Corrosive's YouTube channel. You can look at for his, his, uh, his podcast and his new website as well as anything else that we had talked about in the session notes. Again, if you found this podcast uh, worthy of a review, please do so. I go to scannerschool.com slash iTunes. By reviewing us on iTunes, you help other people find this podcast. Or you can always share this podcast with your fellow scanner users. Maybe you can share it on your Facebook. You can tweet about it. A lot of this and a lot of our listeners find us by word of mouth. So if you enjoy the podcast, you know other people out there who would do so, again, please share the podcast. Finally, don't forget, you can sign up for our SDR training at scannerschool.com slash courses. I'm trying to do some more interviews on the podcast. I think that they, um, they're very informative, and it's not so much just me uh, teaching. It kind of breaks things up a little bit. So this is basically an open call. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, if there's something you're doing with scanner radios that you think somebody's going to find interesting, maybe you, you do something, um, you know, that's that's pretty popular that I haven't talked about yet that maybe you want to share with somebody else. Maybe it's just your history. Maybe you've, you know, you want to tell your story. There's a link on our homepage. If you go on the very top and you click on podcast, it'll drop down to a menu. Inside that menu is a link to become a guest on the podcast. That's actually how Corrosive became a guest on our podcast. A little bit longer story than that, but he, he came, I, I, we basically sunk up online he checked out the website and he saw the link and he clicked on it to become a guest on the podcast. It does work. So again, if you would like to be on the podcast, you have a story to tell, maybe you want to teach something that you know, please, this is an open call. Scannerschool.com, click on the top of the podcast and click on it, be a guest. We have a calendar on there. You can pick a date and a time that works for you. I'll approve it and we'll just do the interview. So before we wrap up, I want to thank our Patreon supporters, Scott Vorder, Craig Harper, Brian Southwark, Dan James Felling, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, M.T. Bono, Mark Beebe, Raymond Hill, William Arcan, and Anthony Saggio. I want to thank all of you for your continued Patreon support. If you want to help support 
scanner school, you can do so in a multitude of ways. If you're a shopper at Amazon, if you're looking for a new scanner software by Butel, if you're looking to make a new purchase and grab some new hardware from Scanner Master, or you can become a Patreon supporter and help us month over month, or even a one-time donation using PayPal. It's all available at scannerschool.com support. So again, don't forget our SDR trainings at scannerschool.com courses. You can always look at the session notes, scannerschool.com session 70. Scanner Schools, copyright 2019, Monitor at Long Island, Inc. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this, again, is Scanner School, where we teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. We'll check back again with you guys next week. Thanks again, and 73.